I'm your host, Michael Wiafe. And I'm your host, Demetria Wack. This is Policy Wise. The differences in health outcomes across racial groups has been documented in the United States. Yet, the extent to which socioeconomic inequalities underlie such differences has not received enough attention. Today, we'll be discussing the complex relationship between race, health, and economics. Today with us, we have Kendra F. Montgomery Block. Kendra is an executive leader, movement builder, and unapologetically African-American activator who's a driving force behind philanthropy and coalitions that are part of the National Black Empowerment Conversation. Uh, Kendra, this is a long list of things that you've done and things that you're a part of, and I would love if you could introduce yourself and maybe tell us a little bit about your work. Hi, everyone. It's so good to be with y'all here today and uh, the fellow wild liars. Uh, I am just super excited to talk to y'all, not just about racial justice, but economic justice. I think that they can't uh, have one without the other and excited to roll up our sleeves. have a long history with YLI, a beloved history with YLI. And I I consider, um, you know, Maureen Sedonin, who is the executive director, CEO, founder of YLI, to be the best in the business. So I'm super Super excited to come and share our story and the story of YLI and uh, and how I've got to be part of this movement. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, could you please tell us a little bit about your work with the Black Child Legacy Campaign? A little bit about what it is and how what your involvement is. Yeah, so the Black Child Legacy Campaign is a campaign that is built around, um, again, kind of health equity strategies when it comes to preventable African-American child deaths. So in Sacramento County, and I'm going to talk to you about the work in Sacramento County, but this conversation around um, who's dying young, who's dying often, and who's dying in preventable ways is not unique to Sacramento. Um, It just so happens that in Sacramento, it is Black kids that die at a preventable death rate. And so for us, that is Um, when babies are born. So Black women uh, do not have the most healthiest birth maternal outcomes. Um, And maybe y'all are not into having babies right now, and that's real good, right? But when you get there, you want to be able to have a healthy child. You want to be able to have a healthy family. And for Black women, uh, it is more likely that we would have a statistics that would be a birth that uh, would not be successful or um, would have issues. Uh, Child abuse and neglect, uh, that is the death of a child by a parent, caretaker, or guardian. Um, Child abuse is real, y'all. And in the Black community, it's also real. Um, And we're also disproportionately represented in the child welfare system. It's almost um, the conversation that we have continued to have to have is what is healthy um, practices around our communities that are really vulnerable. And then the the fourth and third really is around... um, Um, gun violence and gun violence prevention. So you think about what I am dealing with in Sacramento County and trying to prevent from happening is death from young people, Black young people, from the age of zero to about 26, when you think about gun violence and gang violence and who's really affected and on um, when it comes to um, violence in uh, neighborhoods that look like me. Uh, So... Uh, I am excited about that work. Our overall goal is to reduce those preventable death rates, Look, working with public health and a lot of advocate across hospital systems, faith-based systems, um, school systems, um, healthcare systems, advocacy systems, Black systems, uh, to, to really say, hey, why is it that Black kids are um, dying um, at a, 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 you know almost a 40% rate in these seven neighborhoods and we're only 11% of the population of the entire state, uh, the entire county of Sacramento. 
And as long as they've been keeping death data on how children die, Black children have been at the top of the list on who dies often, who's dying young, and who's dying in preventable ways. And I'll say that again. And so it really was an honor for me. And you guys are going to also have this opportunity as you start to grow in your careers um, to uh, be really to pivot uh, and uh, to work in Sacramento, where I'm from, uh, and to really build a health equity strategy around saving babies. When I took this particular position, I was nine months pregnant. Um, And so for me, it was not just about uh, another kind of good health equity sector role. You know, I was carrying uh, the pride of, of, of my soul, and I wanted to be able to give that back to our neighborhoods in a really direct way. Wow. Well, first, again, thank you for being here with us. I mean, there, there's so much to dive into um, on this topic. And so I, I'm really curious because you did touch on quite a few, uh, quite a few areas um, broadly, and maybe you can dive into further specification if you'd like. But what do you think is the biggest barrier to having equitable health systems or um, to reducing violence? Like in the work that you do, what is the consistent thing that you come across that you think if we just solve this one, maybe two or three things, that it would make a really big difference? Well, I think you hit it on the the, the nail on the head there, right? It's not just one thing. It, it is a multiple levels of things. And there's a lot of research out there and I can dive into it. You know, what I think uh, while I did best for me was not just make me kind of street smarts when it comes to organizing and advocacy. Uh, while I actually made me street smart and book smart when it comes to uh, youth development and social justice, right? Like that, those things have to come hand in hand. Um, and if I would say one thing that, um, you know, as I was on that uh, trajectory to be, a, a, you know, a, a real deep youth organizer uh, and to really understand my community from the inside out, from the youth perspective, um, one thing I think that we have to do better about is bringing in the economic conversation. I learned pretty quickly in my work that I could run good programs. I could get good results. You give me a neighborhood, you tell me uh, reduce to tobacco smelling, smoking among young people, check. You say, give me a neighborhood, reduce, um, you know, at, uh, reduce tardies um, and absentees. I, we could do that, right? Um, but give me a neighborhood and change that family. That's a different dynamic. Change that environment of that neighborhood. Change that that family to have different trajectories that are not along the poverty lines. Um, then we have to have a different conversation as youth development specialists to also talk about economic justice in a very real way and racial justice. You know, white supremacy is real. And I hope that y'all understand that from the most realist perspective that anyone can ever get in their lives, um, what has taken place over the past two, three months, right? Um, And so, you know, Black people, Indigenous people, Native people, Latin people, we can all fight for those things, but it's not enough. We also need allies. Um, And so I am of the the mind frame that um, allyship is the number one thing that we can do to make sure that people have a core fundamental to want to change the most vulnerable populations in neighborhoods. Um, I think we have to have a real conversation around racial justice and people have to get out of the way um, of not not just playing on the bench. You know, I, I saw a meme the other day that was like, if you ever wondered what you were going to do if the civil rights or if the Holocaust was 
lived during your time, you're doing exactly what you would have done right now. And so like get off the bench, um, get, make sure your allyship is up, make sure that your circle, your family, and the people that you rock with really rock for everybody. Um, and, and that takes a level of altruism um, and consciousness uh, and community building that not all of us have. But I'm glad to know that YLI and you know the folks that really rocked with me almost 15, 20 years ago are now leading dynamically across this nation. Um, and it was because of kind of the street smarts and the book smarts uh, that we got from the work that we we, we grew up with in YLI very early in our careers. You touched on a couple different points there, and I, th- I hope we can get to, to each of them. Um, but the first that I wanted to talk about was just kind of uh, this idea of economic uh, justice and economic injustice. I was wondering if you could kind of elaborate on what that looks like, um, what, what like the approach is and kind of like the d- consensus of how that should be achieved, whether it's like a targeted approach or more of a holistic approach by the state to, to reach out each, uh, each individual population. Um, and also maybe how you are involved in that process. Um, let me see if I could. So, you know, for me, like I said, running programs, um, having great health equity results is, is, is part of what I could pop my collar and say that I can do that, right? We can do that as a community. I can build that infrastructure and I can do that on a very small scale. When you think about the gravity of the situation throughout Sacramento County, the Sacramento region, and then you go state, nationally, like it, 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 it's small scale. Um, the way that we can move dynamically is um, if we also have a strategy around economic justice, um, and that we really start to think strategically about not just the health equity and the racial pieces, but how do we make sure that this economy um, that we are all living in, um, <laughs> until there's a better solution, right? Um, how are we going to participate uh, in a way that brings everybody and raises everybody's votes? Um, because if not, we're going to continue to have the programmatic pieces, right? The very environmental pieces, um, the small scale pieces of work to be accomplished by folks that can build. Uh, But if we want to take this to scale, if we want massive change, then there has to be a conversation about where is the money? Who's got it? Who who does not have it? And how do we build a way where um, we have better access um, and equality to building our neighborhoods from the inside out? Um, For me, that really was a pivot about three years ago, almost four years ago now, when Stefan Clark was killed and murdered by the Sacramento police um, in the backyard of his grandmother, uh, Sacramento had w- went on fire. When you think about the riots and the movement, that really was, con- you know, akin to our Trayvon Martin piece. And, um, you know, me being an organizer and having built an infrastructure in the Black neighborhoods is really able to bring people together and quickly align under Build Black, which really was a focus on, hey, what what is going on here in Sacramento? I can look out my desk, my beautiful desk on the river that I have not been uh, in a year at the Sierra Health Foundation, and I can look at the skyline and I can see the downtown area. I, there's cranes, there's new buildings. It, it, I mean, we got the Golden One Arena. It, it's nice downtown, but if you go back to the hood where I'm from, Valley High or Meadowview or just anywhere in South Sacramento, it literally looks like it is bombed out. 
And so when you think about the economic center that's really happening for downtown um, and the disinvestment that is happening in the other neighborhoods, then it's easy to see why Black kids die at three, two to three times more rates than any other young people's babies. Um, and it go unnoticed and unchecked for so long um, until we get some political allies and champions. So I say that to say um, Build Black is one of my newest kind of projects. Would love for you guys to check out the Build Black, the new Build Black app. Um, and it is our approach at the Sierra Health Foundation and the center to say we have to be really intentional with our dollar, very intentional about how we spend, who we spend with, you know, in, in uh, the Black community, it is going to take us over 260 years to catch up to between the Black uh, racial and the white racial wealth gap. And that is not going to happen unless we are very intentional about how we build that out of that gap. There are a lot of folks and, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, most, if not all systems that are really working to keep that level of um systemic racism in place. So we never get to catch up and we're never going to be really beyond that space where we could grow and build together. Um, and I'm in this work to fight against that. And it's not easy, um, but it's absolutely what I'm called to do. And um, I'm, I'm really proud of that partnership and that work and build black because uh, we're focused on those things and not only just building economic justice, but against police brutality, lifting the black voice like never before. Um, and then health. So equity. you brought up so many things right now, and I'd love to dive a little bit deeper. But first, could you tell us a little bit more about the app? I actually just downloaded it as you were speaking. Um, That's right. The build black <laughs> app, y'all. <laughs> like, can you tell us a little bit more about what it does? I'm going to sign up here right now, but I'd love to hear more. Good. So, you know, this is so I, when I tell you, much like Maureen Sedonin was the CEO of um, a while, I, I, I have had the opportunity uh, to be under some really great mentorship and leadership. And my current CEO uh, is uh, Mr. Chet Hewitt, who is the CEO of the Sierra Health Foundation. And, you know, much like Maureen's leadership, I think what I've learned most from them is that they let you have good ideas, right? <clears throat> that they never try to stifle your ideas. If you could do it, Kendra, you can get them kids together and you could march up to City Hall, go ahead and do it. Like, Maureen, that was cool, you know, <laughs> to go to, you know, straight up. Gavin was at the point was he was mayor, okay? Like, this, <laughs> so... Um, just those ideas. And Chet does the same thing. And I think um, I, I am an absolute idea person. I love ideas. Uh, uh, I can't sleep at night because I have so many ideas on how I want to change the world. And so the Build Black app is really part of that, right? If we're going to say we're going to be intentional about that racial wealth gap I just explained to you all, then how the hell else are we going to figure out who is selling and how are we going to be intentional about it unless we have a pathway to actually build that level of connection? And so the Build Black app really is like the Build Black Yelp, right? You want to be intentional about how you spend your dollar with the African-American community? Then check out the Build Black app because there's uh, ways that you too can be very intentional about building this out of that racial wealth gap like never before and not just being about uh, racial justice, uh, but also being about economic justice because they go hand in hand. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. That is such a cool idea. Um, I love that. For some reason, I can't find it on my phone right now. I'm so, Michael's technology skills are like way higher than mine, um, but I'm going to do it as soon as I can. Um, 
Wow. So interesting. Really a very different approach. Um, and I think one that could be taken up in like a lot of different ways. Like it's such a smart way to address this issue. And I think it comes from like such a, like a, I don't know. I do have a question in regards to the kind of the 260 year mark that you brought up earlier, as far as, um, you know, the metric that was given to to the time in which there's supposed to be like a quality finally achieved between, um, between races. I was wondering like with, you know, with the app and some of the different policy efforts, does it, and it comes from the idea of like, kind of like leapfrogging, leapfrogging this, this gap. Um, obviously build black kind of implements like technology and education. Um, are there other ways in which you think that like technology education and maybe economic investment will help build back, like bridge that gap in a way that wouldn't been able to happen in, in, in the past? Absolutely. You know, when you think about what drives our, our, our community for what drives our economy for it is technology and so to not be a part of those discussions or to be having ideas absent of technology is to not be forward thinking. I think that for, for you know, again, back to a wildlife lesson of the day, y'all, you know, uh, that upstream model of really making sure you understand uh, why people are actually in the water in the first place is, a, that you know, that's something that is a tried and true kind of prevention analogy. Maureen used to tell this story. I got two stories. Okay. So Maureen used to tell this story when she's, you know, a very good speaker, a very good trainer. Um, and she would tell the story of the downstreamers who was a city of folks uh, who basically were EMT, right? They would, they lived alongside of the river in their little homes. And every time there was a body in the river, they would come out, woo, 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 let's get this body. You know, they were real sophisticated at it. You know, they, they got timers in the water. They got people who come out, get the coats ready, you know, um, and they would do that. Just do that until one day someone said, well, why is somebody in the river in the first place? We've got all this prevention, you know, on the downstream of the situation, but we need to go upstream to figure out what's going on. And that is the approach that you really do have to take. And when you think about racial justice and economic justice, because what happened, our history so long ago matters why folks are in the river right now. And if you're not going to deal with what, how they got there, then it's much harder to keep dealing with the, the crisis. And I think our community has to move beyond that. And a racial justice and economic justice approach supports that. Um, and Maureen tells that story way better than I do, but I always have used that as a way to bring people together and to help them not think just in the moment, um, but to recognize our history and think how we can get behind, beyond this crisis if we were a lot smarter about who actually is, you know, in the crisis in the in the mean in the in the beginning, right? Why why they're there in the first place? Yeah, I mean, just thinking about the way that we have to move forward, like. And, and also the, the strategies that have already been proposed, but kind of putting that point um, on the on the back burner for a little bit, um, I wanted to I wanted to continue this conversation about technology. Um, I've been thinking a lot about how it could how it should be used as a way to to close um, so many gaps and and be able to kind of um, be be that unifier in a way, especially during the pandemic. 
Um, you can get folks, you know, their their healthcare through telehealth services. Um, you know, if it wasn't for technology, so many children would not be in school for a, a year, um, and and gaps would would widen even more. Um, but on the other hand, there are some gaps that technology itself creates, and so you know, I, I guess uh, with that in mind as well, how what needs to be done in order to progress, but progress in a way that doesn't create more barriers or to create more gaps. Um, and what are some policies that might that might start to do that? Not only within technology, but but also thinking that um, that sometimes sometimes things can be done in a way that does that looks like it's bridging the gap, but is actually making the gap wider. Yeah, no, for sure. You know, I there's a couple of things I think off the top. Uh, we got to be able to be real, real clear about how we're going to open up schools and use this gap here that everyone had to take right um, to another level. There are students that are disengaged. Uh, there are families that are, regardless if you did show up with a Wi-Fi bus and a and a, and a Chromebook, like it. I got a five year old upstairs right now. This is not easy, right? <laughs> this is not easy. And so I feel for those parents that don't have the privilege to sit and talk to y'all right now, um, that are not in the comfort of their own living room, um, that my five-year-old and what her teacher is doing is absolutely um, the best for our family in the middle of a pandemic. That's real, but that's a privilege. And, um, you know, to operate in a privilege and not afford other people opportunity um, is not is is not the energy that I do right, and so I think that um, you know it is incumbent upon us to think about the best way to bring schools back online. It is incumbent upon us to think about the best way to think about policies that put students first, not teachers, not politicians, not you you know um, unions, but just to put the kids first. Um, and to come out on top, I, I think that, you know, uh, schools are one thing. I think that our communities are on fire when it comes to violence prevention. All that old beef that was, um, you know, really established when the community got real tight again and you got, oh, you know, got real turf wars going on again. Um, and we've got to be able to deal with violence prevention in a different way. Uh, and that looks different in communities in this pandemic. Uh, and so, uh, making sure that that conversation around who shows up uh, when our communities are in gun crisis, uh, when there is gang violence, um, how do we have this conversation around healthy policing practices, if that's even something that we can call it that, right? Uh, we got to be able to also put solutions on the table. It's not just enough to go with the rah-rah all the time. And that is something I also like to just, you know, instill in the, you know, to y'all as well. You got to be able to pull up with solutions, like solutions, not just that you can talk about, but you can implement. And um, that's what I'm best at. I'm going to think about the solutions, pull up with a process to implement it. Um, and, you know, let's see what it does to change this world. And you got to be as bold as that, um, because it's easy to come with the signs and the Black Lives Matter shirts and, you know, put your fist in the air. But, you know, what you going to do when it's really like, do you got a solution? How are you going to change the world? Who are your partners that's going to help you because you can't do it by yourself? Who's the community that you stand on? Who are your ancestors that you're going to pull strength from? Because this is not easy. And so 
um, I would just instill that upon you too, that let's put young people first. Schools is what everybody has access to. Schools is the civil right movement right now, right? And they have done a disservice over the last year by not providing guidance um, and not really connecting with those most vulnerable students that were already in a gap, right? And so we got to be very intentional about how we pull all of us out of this in a way that brings about the reciprocity that education really is supposed to afford all of our families, because that's currently what's not happening. Um, but we got to put our voices on that. And then, of course, gun violence. Gun violence um, rips the soul out of a community. Violence in general rips the soul out of a community. But when you got communities that are so strapped, so tight, um, and you've got, uh, you know, gangster gun rap, whatever war that's going on, it's real. And so we got to be able to have a very present social media push uh, for what's positive and what's real and, and how to do intervention and prevention um, and take it to the next level because it's not going to be just, um, you know, it, it can't just be the Black Lives Matter folks and, and the movement for Black Lives that wants to have conversations around healthy policing practices. We got to have conversations around healthy community. Um, and what that looks like uh, in the midst of, you know, high gun violence and crime in the middle of the pandemic. Oh, thank you. Um, I just want to I want to return to to the to the point that you said about, you know, young people actually stepping out with solutions um, for for those listening right now. Do you have any suggestions for young people about how they can respond to COVID, how they can respond and act um, to help our communities and schools reopen in a productive way. Yeah, you know, um, my favorite thing to do is to support young people. I, you know, you all have the best ideas on how to touch your families and how to touch young people. You guys are like in this middle spot here, right? Um, and so it's really going to take your the awesomeness of your creativity, uh, you guys understanding what the what the vaccine is and how and what it can do for our families. You're going to have to be that voice, those trusted messengers. Um, we 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 need to be able to have a campaign for young people that really gets information out there um, that builds on um, the health of our neighborhoods first um, as a priority for everyone. And there's nothing more important than the platforms that I'm sure all of y'all have around social media to get that trusted messenger out message out there. Engage communities of color. Let them build their own message. Let them build their own trusted allyship. Um, we should all be thinking about, should I be a vacciner? Can I go and get not only get the vaccine, but be someone that can be trained to give someone else the vaccine? Um, that's what's going to make our communities healthy right now. Um, and so I'm on that fact-finding mission around, you know, am I getting it? Do I give it to my five-year-old? Should I give it to my mother-in-law and my husband? Um, those are things I'm working on right now, right? And uh, overwhelmingly, yeah, I want to. And I feel like this community is going to have to make that decision. But young people are going to be the ones that always drive the movement. And so I'm behind y'all. Thank you. I'm I'm just sitting here listening to you and it's reminding me of the power that I have as a young person. All uh, oftentimes it feels like we're powerless. Um even in positions of power. <laughs> it, it feels like and I know Demi knows what I'm talking about. <clears throat> um but even as student leaders, even all it feels like all you can do is just say the thing and hope that other people catch on board. 
Um, but but sometimes, you know, you, you don't just got to say the thing. You got to do the thing um, and, and really push the envelope in making that difference um, and also inspire a, a lot of other people along the way. Um, and so as we as we start to move towards um, the, the conclusion, I, I do want to ask um, uh, kind of again around this, this the, the first question that I asked, um, which was what is the biggest barrier to young people? Uh, I have a I have a perspective, but I would love to know uh, um, from you who've worked with young people for so long in communities. What is the biggest barrier for young people to, in order to find their agency, to take control of the communities and to make the difference that they're looking to make? That's just it. I don't think there's any barriers for young people. That's that that is <laughs> just it. The sweet spot about being a young person is that you are young and you're not jaded by all the things that comes with age and knowledge and pessimism, right? Uh, you're not in the way of yourself yet, right? You're not you're not trying to figure out how to raise a five year old and uh, be a wife and uh, you know necessarily um, you know. Uh, try to change your, 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 you know, whatever I got going on. Right. Um, when I was 23 and in the streets of San Francisco, you could not tell me nothing, nothing about what I could change. And it took adult allies, like the ones I shared with you today to recognize something special in me, um, and to put me on a path of least resistance. And so, uh, that is what has occurred. And I don't think anything I have done is perfect. But I can tell you that I have tried and I have tried willingly and have had some really great results. Uh, young people can change the world. Uh, you get a little bit older. But if you believe in the power of young people, you will always believe in the power of young people. Um, and I've been that. Wow. Thank you. Um, thank you so much for even taking the time to be on here as a as um, you know, as a parent and yeah, partner. I'm, I know that like any time of the day, actually, I don't know. I have no idea, <laughs> but I'm guessing the time of the day is just so tricky. Um, and, and I really appreciate it. And it kind of guides me to like this next point where you, what you brought up is like, yeah, like as young people, you haven't been, you're not in the way of yourself yet. Um, I guess what my question is, is like, what do you recommend for young people so that they don't get in their own way <laughs> eventually? And, um, you know, do you have some kind of form of like optimism or just like, yeah, advice along, along those lines? Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, don't take yourself so seriously. <laughs> like this is fun. Yeah. You know, this is fun. Um, don't take yourself so seriously. Um, you know, try and try again. Uh, if that doesn't work, you know, the reason, um, I think I got good at doing programming and young people. This is, I would try something that didn't work. I would try it a different way, right? I think you have to be really good at that. I think if you're not at the table, pull up a chair, okay, and uh, work your way in. Um, allies mean everything. You cannot do it by yourself. You need partnerships. Respect the opportunity to break bread. Be professional in how you show up. Um, and uh, don't let an opportunity slip you by. Thank you. Um, just to, to follow up that point, you mentioned earlier that YLI was pretty instrumental in, you know, supporting both like the book smart and street smart mm -hmm. side. Um, to 
like for young people who are, you know, maybe really passionate, but don't feel like they have the words to articulate themselves or maybe don't have like the theories or whatever it takes to kind of back themselves up like with this idea that there's inequalities that exist, but they don't have the economic language to follow up with it. Do you have any recommendations as far as resources go for like where they can find that information um, or, you know, other ways that they can kind of build off of those ideas? Yes. Um, You know, I would just really, really encourage folks, once again, that Build Black app, check out the Build Black website. There's a lot of resources on there on on just economic justice and the fight for health equity um, and um, healthy policing um, police, against police brutality. Uh, and so there's a lot of resources there. That's my first stop, place I would stop. The other thing is I was like, get involved in your own consciousness. Really understand um, how, you know, that $5 or that cash app or that Venmo, whatever you're doing real quick is not just real quick. It has consequences. And so how you spend your money, who you spend your money with, your allyship, um, how you build your team and who you pull off the bench when it comes to um, how you use your dollar to invest in, you know, the things that you believe in is very, very powerful, And so don't be so flippant with it. Understand what it means to spend money in your neighborhood and want better for your neighborhood and demand that of better of yourself and your friends and your community. If if I can kind of follow up, I, so as I'm a policy student, and so I think of a lot of issues and like, I guess like a policy lens, which I know the government can't solve all the problems, um, but but the government can do a good amount. I, I guess my, the challenge that I face uh, uh, all the time is, um, I guess, uh, making difference on a, a broader scale versus in the direct community. And I think both are equally important. And so as these are kind of two moving pieces, you need the community to to, to thrive and do well. And you need, you know, the, the broader, I'm talking like statewide or nationwide policies to support that. But then you also need folks on the on the inside supporting the community. So how does this dynamic? How does this? How was this dynamic work um, in, in your work? And where where do you think the rubber meets the road between these two? I would say that all politics are local, and when you do something very local, it becomes regional, it becomes statewide, it becomes national very fast. And so, for example, uh, the work that I get to do on Black maternal and infant health. Is something that is very local to my work here in Sacramento, but because of the great impact that the community partners have had in our organizing for that, that immediately got the attention of our local, um, of our national state senator, who was uh, Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris was like, yo, Kendra, what are you guys doing over there? I see you, girl. I see you. Come over here and talk to us about how you're able to reduce preventable death rates so fast in Sacramento. Okay. Okay. Let me show up at this table because you know I'm bringing my chair. Like, hi, I'm here and I've got solutions. Um, And that's how it happens. It happens that quick and you have to be ready with those solutions. And when you start doing good work, good people find you. People want to do work with good people. People want to do work with people who get results. People want to do work with folks who are both professional and fun and loving and kind and just. And that goes through no matter what, at the local level, at the regional level, at the state level, and even at the national level, despite what folks may say, right? And so now, 
Kamala Harris, right? Madam Vice President is at the, the you know, national, uh, she's the vice president of the biggest, you know, greatest nation in this world. So get at me what local looks like because it can quickly go up to what this world can be changed. And we're having conversations around black maternal health like never before because of her leadership I and mean, the things that we were able to do here locally to be able to push and make sure that her level of um, leadership um, not only sets the bar for what California Black women want to bring to the table, but what all Black women want to bring to the table uh, when it comes to our national politics currently. That's how fast it happens, Michael. Nothing is just local. What you do and what you when you do good, that's what happens. And um, yeah, I'm a testament to that, and very proud of it. That's so exciting, and honestly, really, like just really inspiring to hear. And um, yeah, thank you for your work. Uh, one question. And there's a lot of people. I just want to yeah. make sure there's a lot of people. I look, look at my Facebook, look <laughs> at my LinkedIn. There are black women who are yeah. incredible. It's Women's History Month. I could not do this work with a, a long list of black women who I stand on the shoulders of. And um, yeah, the opportunity to really represent them in these these tables and in and this leadership is yeah. just incredible. Just following up on on one thing you mentioned, which was, you know, despite what people believe, like people who are representing want good people to come to the table and share those ideas. Uh, could you either elaborate on that or maybe talk about, you know, maybe like a another big surprise that's happened in this work that you weren't expecting um, now that you've gotten, you know, so involved? Yeah, I think that uh, maybe like something that's unexpected. Yeah. I did not ever expect to see the insurrection at the Capitol. Like that to me was like, really? It's that deep, y'all. It's really that deep. And, uh, you know, we work in the world of social justice and activism and, um, you know, this, this world around defeating white supremacy, defeating racism, um, and have always done, you know, I led many diversity trainings, right? Many type of equity trainings and coalitions and, I mean, movements around this stuff to really see the depth of hate for people of color. It was very, um, at that level, you know, like, yeah, we, you say it, we know it, we move it, but to see it at like displayed like that, um, and for people to be questioning, is it still white? supremacy is it still racism is it still uh, that to me is astonishing i am still not maybe astonished that it exists astonished that you could display it like that and still live, live to see the next day like that to me is very i'm like wow we're really that racist america well we are um we are uh, and so it it's gave me more passion to fight harder um to really be about systems change at a very you know not just um kind of micro, my neighborhood level, but at a macro level, that our democracy is in jeopardy and that the only way we're going to be able to change that level of deep-seated white racism is to make sure that our people have a seat at the table and can be a part of our democracy um, and we can elect people that represent us. And it is just that simple and just that hard all at the same time. And so we got to fight more than ever 
to make sure that that never happens again, that, that folks that hold that level of allegiance and that level of discussing white um, racism, that they don't get to represent um, or make laws for us on behalf of our people. Absolutely. And this, this fight, we need all hands on deck. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's many hands that will get involved. So we're wondering in our our final question, we realize that we're coming up on the hour. Um, so thank you for being so gracious with your time. What would you tell young people and policy professionals listening in on this conversation um, and thinking about how these topics play out in their day-to-day lives? What does the day-to-day fight look like um, for policy professionals, young people, and others who are maybe getting into this work, who are new to this work, or maybe want to incorporate um, some of the topics that we touched on today into their daily, their, their daily activities? Um, you know, I will, I'll reiterate what I said before, that we need people to get off the bench. Um, that I can't fight, Black people can't fight, Latin folks can't fight, um, Native, Indigenous. None of us can fight this fight around racial and economic justice alone. And we need people to join. And we need specifically people uh, that don't look like us uh, to join. And because of that, we need more allies. And I encourage you uh, your teams, how you, how you build your friendship, who you are allied with, that and maybe not figure out who's not on your side, right? That we need more people to speak up and talk about injustice and racial and economic uh, injustice, environmental justice. We need more allyship, um, and the only way that you build that is by being conscious enough to communicate in a way that is effective that shows people um, the level of change that can happen. And so that takes all of us. And so policy people, listen to young people, put the right people around your table. Um, Make sure that the world that you want to see isn't reflected in what you're building. And if you're not, then you're on the wrong side. You know, like you can't just play from the bench level. You got to be able to get in. Um, that's what this America requires. That's what our communities require. Uh, and so if you want to see change and you got to be able to, again, pull up and put something on the table and it can't just be, again, the rah-rah. You can't just come with your fist in, in the air. You have to be able to have a team behind you. You got to be able to think um, and provide impact and be strategic enough to do it again. Wow. Um, thank you you know, so much. I would really like to ask you, and I, and I, I think this would resonate like a lot in the sense of, you know, there's just such a like call for everyone to get involved. Um, and yet there is just like this, like, I don't even know how to explain it. Like this tie between uh, not knowing what to do and wanting to do something. And there's just like a lot of barriers in between. For people who want to be allies, do you have like an example of a time that you think that like allyship was really successful? And could you describe that? I know we're almost over time. Um, and if not, it's okay. I mean, like everywhere I turn, there's so many different allyships. <laughs> there's nothing you can do alone. You can, um, you know, Chad always tells me that old wise proverb, you can go quickly by yourself or you can go further. Was it quickly? You can do it all. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, or, um, you know, oh, you can go quickly by yourself or you can go further. 
with the team. And so, you know, the, this is not a short race. This is a long, long, long race. And because of that, who you build your partnerships with, who you build as your friends right now, uh, you, Jared, Michael, those are going to be the same friends when you're 40 like me. And so how you guys understand who rocks what and and who can change, you know, you got a policy, you got a, 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 a techie, uh, you know, you got a person who's international already. Like how you guys rock them, that level of strategy is between you and your friends, you know, like literally from Wild Live, I've got Dr. Vajra Watson. She is the dean of uh, and one of the directors of the School of Education at Sac State. Uh, I have one of my dearest friends, Saran White. She's an executive director of a foundation on the East Coast. I have Tamu Norfolk, who um, works with me here in Sacramento on homelessness. Mael, who ran Wildlife for a long time. I worked at Sierra Health Foundation with when I first got here. Now she's at the School Boards Association. Um, and the list goes on. These are not folks that, you know, I, I, I can't just call. I can call on them to create a movement. A whole movement. Um, and so uh, I take these relationships, my relationships very, very seriously. Um, we all have specialties. Rock your lane. Know what you're good at so that when you pull up, you can be like, I'm going to do this. And I've got, you know, Michael who's going to do this. And i got Jared who's going to do this. Um, and that's how we rock. I, I have so many just, uh, you know, deep friendships and allyships that I can call any one of them. And like I said, create a movement. And that is from us being on First Street, on the third floor, at Wildlife, just pounding pavement, trying to figure out how to change the world from San Mateo to East Oakland to the Canal and San Rafael to, you know, doing trainings across the nation around youth development, social justice. Yeah, those are the folks that I rock with right now to this day. And they will be the folks that you all get to rock with um, and, and create movements with. So cherish this time, cherish relationships, um, and, and move them. Move them to do better and better and better and encourage each other. Because um, that's what our team does, and that's how we've been very successful. Well, I think that's a perfect way to wrap up. Um, thank you so much for coming on. And um, hopefully... My pleasure. Thank you guys for having me. Good, this is good. Yeah. I learned a lot about podcasts. How do you do better? <laughs> you, can come, you, can, you can call on us at any time, I promise. So we'll be there too. Yeah, so perfect. Thank you both, all of you all, for being so gracious and just hearing me talk. You know, I could talk a long time. That's great. I could listen to it all day. So <laughs> perfect. We wanted yeah. to hear you talk. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for joining us on another episode of PolicyWise. We are your hosts, Demetria and Michael. Michael and I would love to hear from you. What topics would you like to hear about and who would you like to hear from? Check the episode description for a link to our survey. Thanks. PolicyWise is a production of Youth Leadership Institute in partnership with California Forward and their Young Leaders Advisory Council. Youth Leadership Institute makes sure young people are at the decision-making tables across California. And California Forward leads a statewide movement, bringing people together across communities, regions, and interests to improve government and ensure that the economy works for everyone. Jarrett Ramones produced this episode. Social media graphics created by Abby Pugh. And the music was sourced from artlist.io. 
If you want to find more great youth content, check out YLI.org and be sure to subscribe to PolicyWise on iTunes and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. It really helps. To discuss this episode, engage with us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at PolicyWisePod and hashtag your discussions with hashtag PolicyWise. See you next time for more youth voice and policy discussion here on PolicyWise.